You're driving on a bright autumn night down a derelict swamp road that seemed like a good idea at the time. Around you, the trees lurk, bending towards you at eldritch angles, and Spanish moss sweeps over the roof of your car. The night is alive with the roar of frogs and the howl of... Well, don't mind about that howl. The clock on the dashboard reads just about midnight, and you pass a sign. It says, Welcome to Outlandish Parish. Welcome to Outlandish Parish, y'all. Come on, Sava. This is the Outlandish Parish podcast. Ah, Outlandish Parish, where the Rugaru still tries to go to church every Sunday. our first episode we would like to introduce ourselves to all of y'all out there listening uh, i'm alexis bro i'm one of the hosts of outlandish parish i'm an author illustrator uh born raised and gone back again in lafouche parish um, i'm a mom i'm like old school nerd girl like mirc second edition D nerd and i love cajun culture and that's why we're doing this and i'm jonas Savan, the co-host of outlandish parish also an old-school nerd, my studio is filled with vintage Star Wars and Masters of the Universe figures. I'm also an author-illustrator. And as we've said many times already, this is Outlandish Parish Podcast. And what do we do on Outlandish Parish Podcast? Well, this podcast is going to be about stories, but not just any stories, not just fairy tales or historical fiction. It's going to be a place where we talk about Louisiana stories, about folklore that's settled here alongside the many waves of cultures who've called this place home, as well as stories about or featuring Louisiana as an element. This first season, we will be focusing on Cajun culture and myths, mostly because we're both very Cajun. Throughout my childhood, every summer when school would let out, we'd be on the boat, a 51-foot cypress-hauled shrimp boat that my dad built with my grandfather and uncle. They built three, actually, one for each of them. That's awesome. And then throughout the year... It was pretty cool. And I got to watch them all be built, too, in second Dude, grade. my grandpa, like, amazing. I grew up Cajun. I grew up Cajun, but, like, my grandpa was a nerd. Like, he couldn't even hunt. Mm. This, like, my grandpa was really bad at being, like, what you think of as a cliche Cajun. So, like, we studied history. I didn't learn a lot of these old stories and stuff, like, at my grandpa's knee. I learned them academically later. So I grew up Cajun, but I didn't grow up, like, with shrimping or hunting or even fishing. Like... My papa mm. shot his own toe off in the bottom of a boat. Like, oh, he's not no. a... Yeah, he did. And he told us he lost it in the war. <laughs> it was that he shot a duck. And it blew his toe off. The duck mm. away. And then a hole in the bottom of the boat. So then they had to walk out of the marsh with, like, no toe and no boat. Oh, so my So that's gosh. the kind of Cajun I grew up in. <laughs> <laughs> then, throughout the year, we'd go crabbing. Then we'd hunt gators to sell their skins when that season opened up. And then we'd trap muskrats and nutria in the marsh for skins as well. And then, you know, it was just a different world back then, for sure. Um, a lot of that's just gone now. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, we, we, weren't, we were raised, um, it seemed so contemporary back in the day. You know, we had like delivery pizza, and, which was very <laughs> fancy for cutoff. Yeah. But... It is definitely, even from then to now, it's just so very different how much how much land we've lost, how much the the people don't necessarily require living off the land. I mean, there's obviously a lot of people in the in the shrimping industry, but it's not, you know, how everybody feeds their families these days. 
But and it's getting harder to feed your family that too, because <laughs> the price of shrimp is going down tremendously from when we used to be in the industry for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm and really you got to looking... think. Yeah. You know, anyway. Yeah, it's 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 rough down here. We're, we're we're hopeful, you know, Cajuns. We're always optimistic, but it's hopeful. But we're not here to talk about the misery of the shrimping industry, though. There, that's, that's a podcast in of itself. Um, we're we're here to talk about. I mean, the the most ubiquitous monster story in Cajun culture, you know, the the animal that is a world famous cryptid monster and folklore character from Louisiana, and that is the Rougarou. And and yeah, we're gonna pluck the lowest hanging fruit for this first episode. We might as well go big right out the gate. But that's not the only reason. Uh, Jonas here is the poster artist for this year's Rougarou Festival in downtown Homa. And uh, we will have much more about the Rougarou Fest later in the in the podcast. But today we are talking about the one and only Cajun werewolf, the Rougarou. Now, look, at first I was worried about covering the Rougarou. It's, it's been done, right? Like, it's been on every show. It's been on Supernatural. It's been on Scooby-Doo. It's been on... You know, every every podcast that covers cryptids, monsters, folklore, they've talked about the Rougarou. And um, we watched them, right? Like, I, I'm sure I did. I'm sure you did, too. But, like, we watched them. We listened to them. I read accounts. And a lot of them just got stuff wrong. Like, not everybody did. There's a lot of great research out there. But there's also a lot of, like, circular research where one link references another link that eventually, if you just follow the trail, it goes to, like, a fanfic blog for an RPG or something. And that it might look like some sort of academic journal at first, but it's just like some kid coming up with their tabletop monster. So yeah. Which we do respect by the way. <laughs> no, well love, love got got don't have yeah. a D20 tattooed on me, but uh I know how yes. to yeah. I roll my dice. I I wrote a gaming book. Like yeah. Right. But, I um, know I know you did. <laughs> We're just telling the a, people. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's one of the things I had a problem with was, was trying to find it. But then I, you know, it's just, they got stuff that was wrong. Like it just felt wrong. But I think that's something about being from a culture that produces a story. You know, it, it gives you a perspective that, that can be hard to emulate. Louisiana does make it pretty easy to come up with some wild out there stories too. Right. I mean, it, it itself, Louisiana is unique and that it comes across in everybody's anytime anybody talks about it, it, it always seems so untamed and haunted. Right. If you want a movie to be creepy or mysterious, you put grainy shots of the swamp, maybe a, a sunning gator, you know, a slide guitar and then you got it. You're in Louisiana. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Louisiana has been a shorthand for like, hmm, I want something that's like like slimy and creepy and and like it, it's scary like people are afraid even on the interstates like that's louisiana mm -hmm. but even in louisiana the scariest thing is the rougarou right like that's still like the people who the people who live in the place that is scary to everywhere else we're still afraid of the rougarou yep so what exactly is a rougarou okay so like what are they what, like what they look like yeah what do they look like to you okay. or to anybody um, or what are they you know well, if you if you go into the research, there are three like main ver versions. If we're talking about the traditional, publicly depicted Rougarou, not like the verbal accounts of a monster they call the Rougarou, um, the first version is like a human, right? It's just a person, um, because a Rougarou is a shapeshifter in in every story, right? That's one of the things that's ubiquitous. That's that's the same across all the different Rougarou stories. Is that the Rougarou is a shapeshifter. It's not a shapeshifter. It's not a Rougarou. But it can be a human just walking around. 
but there's still something like weird about the Rougarou that sets it apart. Like they're going to be sick or kind of unwell, separated from the general community in some way. And like this may kind of be like there's a lot of folklore across the world that that kind of justifies ostracizing someone who was different. Um, well, you think if they're that different too and going through this shape-shifting thing unwillingly that they might self-ostracize as well, right? Yeah, there's right. definitely stuff that where like the Rougarou kept themselves apart, but there were also cases that I talked to like in-person accounts that were the the person just like they seemed kind of off, they would be pale, they would be sickly, they would they would they would kind of give off like a a a weird vibe. Mm-hmm. Um you know, after that was just literally like just the human. Uh, the next one's like really commonly depicted. It's it's the version that is so much fun for like uh, artists like us to draw and for movies to make a big deal out of. And that's like the human with the wolf's head, right? Like they might be kind of larger. They sometimes they get to be enormous in art and stuff. But like as far as the stories go, I didn't find stories where the Rougarou was like the size of a house or something. They're usually about human size, maybe a little bit bigger. But there'll be that sort of human-wolf hybrid. Um, you'll see it in movies like The Howling, American Werewolf in London, American Werewolf in Paris. That's kind of the most, the Rougarou logo is the the man with the wolf's head. You know, that's, that, that's the, yeah. go ahead. I was just going to say, that's that's also what I went with, with my depiction of the Rougarou for the poster. It just seemed like the most relatable style of Rougarou for people to kind of self-identify with that. Well, so I identify I mean, if you... with becoming that too. But anyway. <laughs> no, no, no. And if you look at the third the third aspect, which is the mm. reason why it's called a Rougarou and not a loop guru, then it kind of makes the wolf hybrid the only option for a visual depiction because once you get into what else a Rougarou is, is it's a shapeshifter. So it could be just any animal. And people aren't going to recognize like an angry white cow as a Rougarou unless they know our stories locally. You know, they're not going to necessarily think, oh, that's a Rougarou if they see like a really pissed off chicken. But Mm -hmm. a really pissed off chicken could be a Rougarou if you're talking about the third aspect of it, which is like a true any form is possible shapeshifter. I'm going to get on like a little, little oyster box, not even a soapbox, like an oyster box. Let's establish the terms right now before you start drafting emails. Loop Garou is French for werewolf. Loop Garou, if you're going to say it and you're like not Cajun, say Loop Garou is how it looks like it's spelled. That's French for werewolf. Rougarou is the Cajun shapeshifter, and there is a difference. Loop means wolf. It only changes into a wolf. You can go as far back or forward in the lore as you want. The stories of a a Loop Garou is a wolf man. Stories of the Rougarou are about something that can assume any shape, including a wolf. And it seems to have like an affinity for a wolf, but they can turn into just about anything. And it's kind of interesting that it is stayed so tied to the wolf because we don't really have wolves down here. Like, did you see wolves growing up at all or? No, not at all. Not not a wolf. I've seen coyotes, but certainly not a wolf. Yeah. You know, they're smaller. They're not huge like these. the northern wolves would be. A wolf in Louisiana, like, but we've mistaken coyote when younger, you know, oh, that's a wolf. Yeah. But no, it's actually a coyote or, a, you know, maybe a red fox and even or our something. Lo- but like our local wolves, even when they existed in history, because, I mean, obviously there used to be wolves down here. The mm-hmm. wolves were, were everywhere. They were like the red wolves are like the size of a fox. They're not even as big as like a German shepherd. You know, these mm-hmm. aren't even our na- our native wolves when they did have run of the place. You wouldn't mistake it for being like the size of a man on its hind legs. 
Right. You know, this isn't something that would get misinterpreted terribly. You know, it's not a dire wolf. It's not a, a big, you know, it's not even as big as a husky. It just seems interesting that the wolf is so tied to it when I don't necessarily associate the wolf with, like, the Louisiana landscape, especially down here. Right. You yeah, know? no, yeah. it is interesting that that I, I never really questioned it until, you know, the, until you start looking into stuff like that. Um, I mean, we both yeah. grew up with literal bayous in our front yard. Mm. We weren't like, you know, I guess you were living in a hunting <laughs> right. camp in the marsh. Well, yeah. Um, well, so my bayou was in the backyard and then across the street <laughs> in our front yard was a marsh. Yeah. <laughs> Which I shot. I shot my first duck while waiting for the bus uh, in the pond across the <laughs> across the street from, or across the road from my house. Can you imagine was... like just being a bus driver today and just seeing a kid like just shooting while waiting for the bus? <laughs> right. Yeah, again, different times back then, but hey, look, I had, I'm so thankful for have lived that, you know. No, same here. Like, and it, it's because you have to, you know, you have to have this sort of practicality living down here. Whether you're marsh commando like you or like sitting inside reading like me, I know you wanted to be inside reading, but um, you know, we had <laughs> the alligators in our yard like this year. There was wow. a 12 foot alligator that just really liked my mama's pond and just kept walking <laughs> back and forth in the yard. Whether you're outdoorsy or not. You're, you have to know how to handle the outside yeah. in Louisiana because it's, it's, it's going to find you. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it will. You know, the stories like that, they will usually tell you about how to live in that world. Like the stories will, things like the Rougarou that can become sort of preventative tales. You know, they tell you how to be um, safe and how to be, you know, or at least pretend you're safe. When you're out in a place where alligators just show up and the eagles are hunting overhead and... Mm -hmm. Everything is trying at least a little bit to, to you know, to eat you first. <laughs> you got to be honest. Louisiana wilderness is no joke. I've spent countless hours out there for sure, especially growing up. But if I had to keep my own kids safe and close to home, yeah, I would tell them there's a wolf man. <laughs> we'll chase them through the swamp <laughs> if they step out of line. Yeah, there, there's not always a lot of room for error out there in the marshes and swamps. And uh, I'd like to keep them safe. But at the same time, my own parents let me out there in a mud boat at 10 years old. And I mean, I don't question that they didn't try to keep me safe, but I guess they trusted that they taught me well at a young age. I'm guessing that's what it was. I anyway, mean, I hope. <laughs> you know, we were taught we were taught how to run. First of all, running. Running was always very important. If you saw a snake, mm -hmm. you just ran. The waters around the house, the waters around the, the area you know, there's a reason that these stories exist. There's a reason there's stories about when you go out, when you don't, where you go, don't not going by yourself. And even just being afraid, like even if it's not a specific like moral lesson, just being a little nerfe about going out in the marsh is a good thing. <laughs> right. Because you yeah. have to be able to keep your bearings as you know, out here, you can get you, you can lose the horizon completely. You can get if you don't know where you're going. You know, you can yeah. easily lose the horizon in the marsh and, and lose the your orientation because it all looks the same out in the grasslands or out in the swamp. Mm -hmm. You can get turned around pretty easily. But, you know, we were both raised in the same place that when the Acadians came down from Canada, you know, when the Rougarou came down from Canada with the Acadians, this is where the Rougarou story really flourished. The Rougarou doesn't start in Canada or in Louisiana. It starts in Rome. We're going, we're going way back. We're going way back. We're doing deep dives on technology here. Yes. Rome. Yeah, so we, are, we are we are thinking about the Roman Empire, Jonas. <laughs> it all comes full circle. I am the oh, woman who gosh. thinks about the Roman Empire. My brother's three cats are named Zenobia, 
uh, Hannibal and Boadicea. So my family thinks wow. about the Roman Empire quite a bit. A lot. Um, Every time it's time to feed some cats. <laughs> We're thinking about Roman uh, Empire. That, that's pretty awesome, though. <laughs> we'll make ourselves topical, bam. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, it starts in Rome. Uh, the Greek origins, uh, King Lycaon. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> so <laughs> King Lycaon, who killed his own son, Nictimus, cooked and served him to Zeus, who in turn transformed Lycaon into a wolf and reinstilled life into his son. And I read that he cooked and served his son to Zeus just to check to see if Zeus was as all-knowing as Zeus claimed to be. So that's a really weird and petty way to test that. But anyway, so Lycaon was turned into the first wolf and hence lycanthropy, the study of werewolves. I wonder if it also has something to do with just that sort of viciousness, because like Heon, you know, he was, we'd say, say, you know, he was just an arrogant jackass who thought he was as good as the gods. And he like had that dinner party and he was like, ha ha, fooled you, ate my son. I wonder if the viciousness of the werewolf, you're not just, pre- it's not like, he, you know, he didn't do the, the reluctant sacrifice. And, you know, mm-hmm. and I love that in the story, Zeus is not ticked off. That he ate human flesh. He's ticked off that like he broke the rules of hospitality. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is pretty Zeus great, is, actually. Zeus it's is such very a eye US for an eye. Mythology. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Zeus is Zeus is utterly horrible in Greek mythology. He is actually yes. <laughs> Many <laughs> but he gave us that. werewolves. But there you go. Thank you, Zeus, for that part. And he did bring the kid <laughs> back. Like he could have very easily yeah. and been completely That's on right. brand for for Zeus to not even restore the child, but at least he did that. Yeah, you're right. And then the way that folklore and culture find me a place in Europe where the Romans and their folklore didn't reach. So Mm -hmm. we could probably do a whole deep dive on just the evolution of werewolf mythology in Europe. Eventually, from those first Greek and then Roman stories, we've talked before about like Romulus and Remus, you know, wolf imagery. The wolf mother, yeah. Super popular through the Roman Empire. It's like kind of with with the connection to to Romulus. It's... um, Mm -hmm. For those of you who don't know, Romulus is the founder of Rome, hence Romulus, Rome, yes. I saw something the other day, it was um, thinking about the the Reman Empire. The Reman Empire. (laughs) How that would have gone? The Reman troops. If he would have won, if Remus would have (laughs) won. Interesting. Yeah, so Romulus did kill his brother Remus, right? A lot of sacrifice back in those days apparently uh, i mean the whole the whole twin history doesn't make twins look like a lot of fun there's a lot of if there are twins mm. in a story the odds of both of them both of them making yeah. it to the end of the story not so great <laughs> you're right <laughs> oh man i, I laugh but that's horrible <laughs> okay but yeah we um, were talking about european lore um which romans spread into and probably you know combined lore together in those aspects right i mean for european what do we think of transforming under a full moon and killed by a silver bullet seems to be like the underlying parts of all these stories well not underlying maybe the common threads of all the european stories i've heard there's some i mean it's european lore is more similar than what we find once it comes to the americas but you're also seeing cases uh, that, we, that we'll see echoes of later in the Rougarou, but you're seeing cases of curses, you're seeing cases of witches, witches who turn into wolves, you're seeing a lot of artifacts. There were different methods of, of becoming a werewolf. It's kind of all over the place, but the common thing is that it's usually just a wolf, right? They're not turning into bears, they're not turning into deer, they're not turning into chickens, they're turning into wolves specifically. 
and they are going to have some kind of vulnerability to silver, to um, something that's pure. But those stories just exist in almost every part from Celtic Ireland all the way down, you know, to the Mediterranean Sea. Since we're talking specifically about like the European lineage of mythology we didn't i'm there there are shape-shifting stories from other cultures but that that's bigger than we can do. that's such a big story there are shape-shifting stories of course from like um asia southeast asia pacific island and africa and stuff i guess i should explain so the story traveled with the acadians over to uh nova scotia i'm assuming that the vast majority of our listeners are going to know about the acadians but hey you never know so we're gonna we're gonna cover it the acadians were the first french settlement in the New World. They were founded in 1604 on an island in Pazamaquoddy Bay. Shout out old school Disney Peach Dragon for giving me any idea of how to pronounce Pazamaquoddy because that is a weird looking word. <laughs> Peach Dragon. That was in there? Wow. Cool. Pazamaquoddy. That was the I one that the snake oil salesman, he had a whole song about it. I really ah. like that movie. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Show it to your kids. And if you need to think about where that's at, we're talking about like Halifax, Nova Scotia, Port Royal. Like that's where the Acadian settlement wound up. And they lived alongside, for the most part peacefully, by all accounts, a tribe called the Mi'kmaq. And the Acadians came in with their werewolf stories, their their French, you know, their Catholic stories, their French mythology. They were explorers. They were adventurers. They were people willing to cross the Atlantic Ocean in 1604. And the Mi'kmaq have a traditional, you know, stories that you find in a lot of different nations of the Northeast, kind of like how mythology would travel through different tribes of, of early pre, you know, early pre-Roman Europe mytho- and mm-hmm. Roman Europe. Mythologies would travel through the First Nations, and they have stories about shapeshifters. You see this in the, in the word, where the word changed from Lupgaru to Rugaru. Ru means river. Garu means wear or shifting. So the name implies a shifting river, right? Something, a fluid shapeshifter, not loop, not a wolf. And like, I looked through the Mi'kmaq lexicon, uh, a couple of different ones. I found the one that's official from the tribe. And then I found a couple of Meti, which is the term for an indigenous culture that has blended with a European culture. And they now have Metis tribes or Metis tribes and nations across Canada and even into certain parts of the United States, where it's just a culture that developed so closely alongside the European culture that it, it, it shifted in some way that they defined for themselves. And so the Rougarou is considered a Metis monster because it is a blend of the European werewolf and the indigenous shapeshifter. And like I look through all these lexicons, they don't even have words that begin with the R sound. So it's not like there's an equivalent where like maybe it was a Mi'kmaq word that right. that was like root or rug or something. No, there's like there's not even words that start with the, the R sound that I was able to find. By any means, if anybody out there knows better than me, shoot me the reference. I will I will <laughs> gladly correct myself. It seems like the the Acadians were defining this term as rugaru and the idea of it being of like something that's fluid and something that's changing as opposed to just being a wolf. That whole thing just captivated me. Like, I love that idea that that's what shifted over. Yeah. And yeah, you've got these stories side by side, right? You've got the Mi'kmaq have their story of a shapeshifter, and then you're a little kid, and you live in this sort of cooperative village with the natives and the French Acadians, and like the stories, they come together. They shift into a different story over the generations. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, as different people tell the story, they will they'll impart their own knowledge into it and own lessons. But at, at the same time, it seems like a lot of those stay kind of steady at the same time. But I mean, if they've got, I didn't really find a lot of like singular animal shapeshifters in mm-hmm. the Mi'kmaq, Iroquois, you know, the tribes that occupied the nations that were living in that area whenever the Europeans came. You know, they had like the idea of something that would only change into one thing wasn't part of their culture. Mm-hmm. And then the idea of a multiform shapeshifter wasn't part of the Akkadian culture. And then like that's where the Rougarou was born, right? Like in those cold long ago nights. You know how good you have to yeah. be at stories to make it through a Canadian winter? Oh, I'm sure very. <laughs> this is, that's a lot of stories when you can't go outside from like what, October to May or something? Like that's it's so many stories. Cold, yeah. Yeah, the kids knew those especially stories like well. January and February and March up, you know, are in the north are pretty brutal. I will say that from experience. I have not been <laughs> north of North Carolina, and I can't even comprehend the winters that are endured from that far north. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason all the cannibalism stories are from up there and not down here. That's true. I'm thankful for our current age of technology. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, at at that time, like you said, yeah, those stories had to endure you and your spirit throughout that whole winter. And man. And the Rougarou story, like it's an act, you know, if if the proof of the connection, much like how connected it is to Mi'kmaq culture and Meti culture, the Rougarou is still an active myth in those cultures. You know, this isn't some dead story of long ago. Like this is an idea that kind of like we're doing right now up there. There are people, artists, filmmakers and stuff that are still pulling from the story of the Rougarou. Like if anybody wants to hear more, there's a really good series of short films by indigenous Métis filmmaker called Shadow of the Rougarou. It's from like 2021. We'll have a link in the show notes. It's really good. It's a series. It's really good. We both, yeah. We yeah. both watched it. I like the visuals of it. It's well done. Good production quality. The story's good. Like, But they're still using it. You know, It's not just an inspiration just in down here. The Rougarou is a multicultural animal, even though it is mm-hmm. so widely celebrated in Cajun culture. And then we, again, kind of coming back to the difference between a loop guru and a Rougarou, if you go to Haiti, also incredibly French, they yes. have a werewolf. They have a wolfman. But it's pronounced Lougarou kind of Haiti, kind of like Louis, the Acadians mm-hmm. had a long period of being a um, non-written French. So the sounds evolve without necessarily the spelling change changing, mm. but they say Lugaru, right? Like it's their phonetic spelling is L-O-O-G-A-R-O-O. And it's a wolf man. It's not a fluid shapeshifter. It's not the Rougarou. It's something mm. different. Well, there's, so, yeah, there's the Lou again, right? So yeah. that, that seems to indicate the, the, static uh, shapeshifter form being the wolf Mm -hmm. right okay yeah so the acadians lived alongside the Mi'kmaq for you know 150 years some up to 200 depending on when they they had to uh leave during the derangement i guess we have to explain the derangement too uh okay so the acadians were a french settlement right 1604 boom they're set halifax port royal um they got kicked out it's complicated Basically, it's like LSU and Alabama fans, like the French and the British just hated each other so much that they didn't understand the Acadians were just trying to stay neutral. Like they're sitting there like Tulane fans just being like, I just like my people. I, I was raised a Tulane fan. The English basically seized the Acadians, seized their boats, took their guns, 
made the women to pack up the houses and then burned everything, slaughtered all the cattle, burned all the houses and kicked everybody out. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. But they didn't have a home. They didn't. The English didn't arrange for anywhere to drop us off. So they just put everybody on boats. And um, it, it is very serious. Like, yeah, out of the Acadian population, a third were killed. A third stayed in hidings, which is why you still have like Cajuns and Acadians that live in parts of northern Maine. There were Acadians that just kind of hid in the land, a lot of them with the Mi'kmaq. But then a third of them eventually wound up mostly in Louisiana. Like it didn't happen automatically. The Acadians were a people without a land for starting in 1755 for, you know, the first people started settling in Louisiana in 1765. So that's a minimum of 10 years. But it, immigrating isn't a, a, an all at once process. Some families were displaced in other countries for up to 20, 30 years. And one of those places that welcomed, I won't say welcomed, it was a refugee camp, but some of the Acadians did actually go back to France. My Acadian ancestor actually spent his time, he was a little boy whenever they were kicked out of Port, of Port Royal, and he went to France until he was a young man and then came over to Louisiana once the Spanish invited the Acadians. But something oh. really weird was happening, like, during the derangement, and it was happening in France, and it was really big news. And I really think that it affected the Rougarou story before it came to Louisiana. Yeah, I'm guessing you're talking about the Bête de Gévaudan. Ouais, the Bête de Gévaudan. Ouais. <laughs> Love the Bête of Gévaudan. First of all, I like that I can say Gévaudan. Pretty word. I mean, the Bête of Gévaudan, have you, did you look at it any more than from when I we have. talked? Oh. Yeah, I, I have looked at it. It's pretty interesting um, that these crazy. are actual accounts of like people, you know, getting slaughtered in a way and that attributed to this werewolf like creature. Yeah, right? slaughtered in a way. Let's see. I'm, I'm going to pull it up right now because I'm a dork who can't remember numbers. 113 deaths. Yeah. Um, over the course of 210 attacks, there were 113 deaths. 49 injuries with 98 of the victims were partially eaten. Again, links in the show notes. This is, has been worthy of and has been treated to the full dissection treatment by a couple, you know, a couple different podcasts that I really like. But basically, it was this massive, horrifying wolf attacks that were happening in Gévaudan. And Gévaudan is like the Scotland of France. This isn't Paris. This is like the weird highland mountains of France. It's very isolated. It's like one victim for every square mile of the region. Like, it was insane. Wow. The concentration. The king, like, Louis XV sent his royal, like, ass kickers to go and <laughs> try to kill this thing. And um, if you see the, bro the, the movie Brotherhood of the Wolf from the 90s, have you watched that? I have not. No, I've oh, heard. I should, though. It's, there's, like, bamboo in it. And, like, the guy who's now the host of... Iron Chef America plays a Native man. It's it's yeah. it's '90s like action pack Hercules and Xena level of mm -hmm. of combat. Like everyone knows kung fu, but it's it's beautifully done and it's an interesting story. But it's definitely like a '90s action flick. You get mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Gotcha. Um, yep. But it was so popular, it was in all the papers, and so I think that this kind of, I guess, kind of reinvigorated the concept of the Rougarou as like a vicious creature, right? You're a, you're a little kid, you've been kicked out of your country, you're growing up in a refugee camp, but you speak the same language as the people in the area, right? They're gonna hear these stories, mm -hmm. right? So they, they hear about these, these decapitations, right? A hundred people being eaten, a hundred people being eaten. Right. 
<laughs> and out of fear alone, you'd be spreading this story as much as possible to keep your loved ones safe from this, you yeah. know, this beast that's out there slaughtering people for apparently no reason. But uh, so I, I just I, I think that's know. why when the Rougarou came to Louisiana, I think that's why some of these stories are just a little bit more vicious, right? Like maybe maybe it was that like they like they'd kind of gotten used to the shapeshifter stories and 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 then they go back to Gévaudan and then you grow up hearing for 10 years about these horrible wolf attacks. And then the Acadians came back to Louisiana. Where they had a lot more to fear than wolf attacks. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. anyway, but yeah. So now they, they're back in Louisiana. They, they're they meeting the Chittimacha, Choctaw, Homa, and Cato, right? Members of these tribes. Yeah, um, they, I mean, this area was always a, a nexus of a bunch of different tribes. That's why New Orleans was Bulbancha, right? New Orleans mm -hmm. was a city before... Yeah you know, white people showed up and declared it a city. You know, it was it was something before the European nation showed up. And it was always a place like the Homa already knew French before the Acadians showed up. It's why they, they were so successful here is because the Homa knew French from the explorers. Wow. You know, Homa and French that's is super older interesting. Than, yeah. Homa, Homa French predates the Acadian settlement in Louisiana. But obviously they would have been in the area of New Orleans or, you know, Balbancha, um, because that's such a strategic place, you know, as far as like just shipping and just, you know, for them. And there's enough here for people to share. Stuff. Yes. Like, Especially like, at that time, too, with the populations being so much less dense as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's horrifying for the Shittimacha, um and the other indigenous. But like, if you check in the show notes, we're going to have a link to the Shittimacha story. Uh, in their own words, of their dislocation and and slaughter. Let's be honest, slaughter. But basically, the the Indian Relocation Act, like th they didn't worry about Louisiana. <laughs> mm -hmm. No yeah, who the hell right. would want to live yeah, down here? Absolutely. So as Andrew um, Jackson was signing the yeah, that was 1830s. <laughs> he signed the, the Indian Mer Removal Act, as it was called. Yeah. Or Indian Relocation Act, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah so, they didn't and he, venture down to the swamps, apparently. And he had been down there. I mean, Jackson, you know, Battle of New Orleans, like he Jackson knew, Square. he knew how bad it was, like how difficult it was to live down here. So, kind of a really jacked up result of that is that the Shittimacha are one of the few tribes that actually still occupy, albeit a microscopic, a horrifyingly small part of, but they do still live on the land that they occupied before. European settlers came in. Bayou Lafouche in my front yard was Lafouche de Chittimacha. It was the Chittimacha Fork. Mm. Um, I didn't learn that till I was a grown up that the bayou was literally named for the Chittimacha. But they had been driven back to where their, their reservation is now, kind of close to New Iberia. And mm. they'd gotten pushed that far back, probably about 50 years before the Acadians arrived. But because the Indian Relocation Act wasn't terribly like worried, about South Louisiana, you know, for all of these years, the Acadian Creoles and, and native people, and they lived side by side, they shared stories. And again, just like we saw with the Mi'kmaq in, Acad in Acadiana, we see the French stories blending with the Creole stories blending with the native stories. And that's how the Rougarou shares elements of all these cultures. Right. Everybody's putting in a little bit, you know. Like, a, like yeah. a gumbo of sorts. A cultural gumbo is what the Rougarou is, right? No, it is. It's it's really a, a cultural gumbo. It's a little bit of all of these stories, but it's also like quintessentially Cajun, right? Like mm -hmm. it is both It is both a little bit of everything, but also essentially a Cajun thing. 
you know, I think some of the most fun stories are like how many ways you can become a Rougarou. Like he's a shape-shifting boogeyman. But there's like a million ways you can accidentally turn into a Rougarou or on purpose. <laughs> right. Yeah. For those <laughs> deranged people who want to live between no. both worlds. Maybe not deranged. I don't know. I could see someone being desperate enough to be wanting to be a Rougarou, you know? I mean, it might be deranged, but like selling your soul usually isn't a good idea. That's one of the ways you can become a Rougarou is to you want this power. You want the shape-shifting capability. So you sell your soul to become a Rougarou. That's a choice. I, I don't know that I would do that, but uh, it's definitely the one where you're choosing it, right? You're you're deciding mm -hmm. um, that you want to become a Rougarou. Well, as a Catholic, you can also break Lent for... How many days? Or seven years in a row? Another way That's that you could, I guess, intentionally become a Rougarou or unintentionally if you're not practicing properly? I always kind of got the hint that the breaking Lent for seven years in a row is more of a punish, a punitive thing. Like, I don't, first of all, I'm not a Rougarou yet, so I feel like I've, 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 I've disproved that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, oh, quick Cajun cultural note. Lent is the time of fasting and contemplation and prayer between mardi gras and easter <laughs> there you go that is right and saint patrick's day right in the middle but everybody gets a pass on saint patrick's day like if you give up There's alcohol a... for lit you can still drink yeah. on saint patrick's day <laughs> saint patrick said it's okay that's funny um but yeah after after, after mardi gras everybody's got a lot to pray for and contemplate yeah. <laughs> until easter yeah. But yeah, like and if you break Lent, what it is is if you don't attend masses or if you don't treat it with the the proper respect. You know, if if you don't actually go into it with, you know, where you're giving up something and you're sacrificing for Lent or eating red meat and stuff like that, you could become a Rougarou. It's a punishment. You can be cursed by a witch. That's another aspect of it. You can be cursed and sure. that doesn't really have anything to do with with being Catholic except that in the general sort of invulnerability that certain Catholic beliefs can give you, like you can protect yourself against a Rougarou, but you can also protect yourself against a witch's curse. Mm -hmm. The really messed up thing is to break the curse, you had to turn someone else into a Rougarou. Wow. So does that make you a witch after then? I don't, I don't know. They, they <laughs> didn't, they didn't, none of the stories said anything about that, but like, like, let's yeah. say you were the Rougarou and I'm your friend and I love you and I don't want you to, to die. I don't, you, I don't want you to be the Rougarou no more then I can cut you and draw your blood, not kill you, just like a, like a, little, mm -hmm. a little quick snippy snip. But then I'm going to return a Rougarou taking that burden off of you. It was like a mercy. Wow. It's a very unique aspect of it. And it would be like, there's a lot of times you see like 101 days. Mm -hmm. If you didn't pass it along, I guess, unwillingly or convince someone in 101 days, then you would potentially die from being the Rougarou. Like just mm -hmm. spontaneously, you would, you would wither away and die from it. I've also seen uh, instances or, or comments where after those 101 days, you can no longer reverse it. And then you're just a Rougarou forever after that, too. Oh, so you right. have like a, like you have like a like a like a ticking clock. It'd be a fun yeah. movie. Yeah, that would be for being a Rougarou. Oh, my gosh. That's cool. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> let's write one. All right. <laughs> let's get no. through the first episode of the podcast first. <laughs> yeah, right. Becoming a Rougarou is something that usually it's, I don't know, it seems like it's also a, a sort of a punitive thing. Like there's all these like rules and, and little things. Like if you saw someone who was a Rougarou, you weren't supposed to say anything for 101 days. This is another 101 days thing. And if you said something that you would become the Rougarou yourself, but I don't know if it was just speaking 
or if it was that the Ruguru was going to chase your ass down and bite you and turn you into a Ruguru yourself. It, it's kind of, I didn't find anything that really clarified the point whether the Ruguru was going to hunt you down or you would just like spontaneously Ruguru eyes, like Ruguru shift, like a transformer. Um, mm -hmm. The second after you told your mom that your cousin was a Ruguru. Uh-huh, yeah. What I'm not seeing is a lot of like a lot of biting. Like, yeah, the one that the Ruguru might come after you, but there's not a lot of the carnivorous aspects of like a lot of lot of other lycanthropy mythologies. Like Ruguru stories, the beast of Bebenber, I wanna say. And mm -hmm. like they're talking about this guy just like eating babies like they're gnocchi or or ravioli. That this is very violent. You know, you, you look at the werewolf mythologies and you're looking at like massive slaughter like in the bed of Gévaudan and I'm not I don't see that in a lot of like you know the 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 Rougarou stories like it's scary but it's not like 113 gruesome beheadings right well it seems like <laughs> whoever's going through that like if you're going through that consciously or if it's just like a beastly urge I don't know but like how do you stop doing this how do you stop being a Rougarou I mean, I don't, there aren't that many ways for you to stop doing it. The biggest one is that, like, like you could pass it along willingly. But other than, like, dying or passing it along, breaking the witch's curse, you know, that varies widely from story to story. But there's there's not a, a certain cure-all. Like, it's a very depressing sort of concept. You know, it's like, well, I'm the Rougarou. <laughs> yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> An affliction to other, live like... with. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess I'm going to go live in the swamp now. <laughs> but there's a lot of other like fun beliefs around the Ruguru. Um, there's the like I said earlier, you can't talk about it for 101 days. It's like a statute of limitations. Like you just I don't it's to stop gossip. I don't know. Cajuns are good yeah. at gossip. Mm -hmm. um, well, you don't have much else to do down the bayou. You no, know? there really wasn't before there was. It was TV. pretty rural living. <laughs> what are some of the other things you heard about the Ruguru? Oh, oh yeah. Boring. So yeah, definitely the one about if you cross paths with a Rougarou, you can't hunt for a week. I've heard that, you know, that one was one that I heard a lot of growing up. Let's that see. one actually found a contemporary telling of. Like, it was a guy who saw the Rougarou and his mama, like, took his gun from him. Like, mm -hmm. the guy who's alive who talked about it. <laughs> wow. And not, Interesting. Probably, the guy was probably, like, in his 60s, and, I, and so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't in the great long ago. Hmm. His mom said, you're not taking that gun out. You saw the Rougarou. You can't go hunting for a week. Yeah, that sounds, I mean, it definitely sounds like a familiar story that I've heard, too. <laughs> but that's funny that it, like, personified there. So the counting to 13 thing, um, I like to think of it more as, like, just the general sort of Christian, Catholic-specific obsession with the number 13, right? Jesus and the 12 apostles is 13. 13 mm. is... A lucky or unlucky number in, in Catholicism, 13 is usually like a lucky number because it has so many different like biblical references. But there's also the horrible joke that if he he went to school in Louisiana, so he couldn't count over 12. Uh -huh. But basically it was that the Rougarou will be compelled to count a lot of tiny things. So if you had 13 pennies, which is kind of just the most familiar one, but it could also be hanging a colander, a spaghetti strainer by your door. And mm -hmm. he'd be compelled to count all the holes or just oh. throwing like a bunch of diddy guys, like a bunch of little pocket knickknacks right on the floor. Mm -hmm. And he would be the, the Rougarou would be distracted. And that you find echoes of that story in like older European mythologies. You'll see that with like um, certain fairy lore, um, certain Celtic lore, French Celtic lore, especially. You'll see yeah. that like it's kind of that one's one of the ones almost like throwing salt over your shoulder. That's kind of a. 
or turning your shirt on inside out. Like that's kind of a general like magical solution to getting away from a, a something that's scary. Yeah, yeah, I've but seen the same kind of. Yeah, I've seen the same stories with like leprechauns and stuff like that in Ireland. Yeah, but, but yeah, but the Ruguru, it's it's specifically that one. Like we don't have the turn your shirt inside out. We didn't that none of the other ones stuck. But the the counting to thirteen stuck, and I think it's because of the ties to Catholicism. You know, I think that's why because everything in Catholic culture, in Cajun culture, is so Catholic. You know, I think that's just a side effect of it because the number thirteen is so tied to Catholic traditions. I think that's why that's the one that stuck to the Ruguru. There's a really funny one. Um, I, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about it. I've only heard this one verbally. I've never actually seen like a collected story or like a text. But it's you would you could get attacked by the Ruguru if you went hunting on holy days. Yeah, yeah. Is that one that you'd heard too? That is definitely one I've heard because yeah, because they wanted you to go to the yeah. holy day kind of not thing. Not going hunting except for these yeah. days would be if you watch this if you went if you went, if you watch the Super Bowl instead of going to mass. Yeah, but um. <laughs> But yeah, like you could like the Fufole was going to get you or the Ruguru was going to get you. But I, I can't mm -hmm. find it recorded anywhere. You know, that was one that I've only heard like family members and people sitting around at a bushetti talking about. Yeah. And the Ruguru pulling your toes at night when you're a kid, of course. is. A... <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of toe pulling. There's, there is. We're going to get to Madame de Grandois later in the season. And that's the lady, the hag, the prairie Cajun hag who pulls your toes. Mm -hmm. That one's horrifying. She wears a necklace of toes. Yeah, and then the devil used to pull your toes. The Rougarou would pull your toes. I uh, know. <laughs> Very short toes for all that toe pulling. And, you know, like we talked to earlier, like, there's a lot of the idea of, like, the Rougarou would just somebody who had to stay apart. You know, I mean, the, the thing about the Rougarou is, like, people always felt like they should they could tell who it was. Um, mm -hmm. I spoke to a few people, and they swore, like, their momos knew somebody from down the bayou or up the bayou who was a Rougarou, like... Again, not a long ago, like 60s and 70s. Like this was, if somebody, they would sit and they'd have their coffee at two o'clock and they would gossip about who in the neighborhood was a rugaru instead of watching TV. Like it's funny to think right. about. Um, but the person who they suspected was a rugaru was somebody to like fear and avoid. But it, it wasn't really tied to any sort of lunar cycle. It wasn't, it wasn't something that could happen at any time. The communities didn't have police or like civil law enforcement. I mean, they did up in cities like, but the nearest jail was in like Thibodeau <laughs> for right. us. Uh, that's well, an hour drive nowadays, these ladies and gentlemen. You know, so, so, so they, they needed rules in their community to keep people in line. And the Rougarou kind of did that. Yeah. It was a civil, civil, uh, what would you call him? Civil, his own civil law enforcement, I guess. <laughs> like uh, yeah. Yeah. He took it into his own hands, the Rougarou. That's. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, most of these stories, though, they're not even of Rougarou attacks, like a lot of the ones of uh, that we've heard from people, you know, they're mostly like sightings. Uh, we don't have cattle mutilation, mangled corpses like the Bête de Jevoudan. Um, these are yeah. these Cajun stories are different. Their stories, you know, scare people away from the swamp. But like as a kid, we might be afraid of the Rougarou. But as an adult, the Rougarou is more of a monster you're be afraid of becoming, you know. You're not scared of the Rougarou. You're scared of turning into the Rougarou. Once you're past the fear of the dark, like the Rougarou is something, it's a threat, right? Like it's scary. It, it chases, it pursues. But like there are some stories of attacks, but they're not, they're not the most common right. story. Well, sometimes the fear of the attack is just worse than the attack itself, right? Yeah. So.
um, there was one thing I found in my research. It was a show called Chasing Legends. It looked like a YouTube sort of cryptid hunting show. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did one season, 2020 to 2021. I think we can assume to know what happened to their to their YouTube show, given given that it was released in 2020. But they they did a good job. You know, they came down and they talked to um, Glenn Pete. He's a, a storyteller, a raconteur, the filmmaker from from Cut Off. And his insights were the best part of the episode for for me. He talked about it as uh, they said in the episode that the Rougarou is if your conscience was a person, right? That it's like a physical manifestation of your guilt. And I thought that concept was great that, you know, if if you feel so guilty about something that you're literally making a monster to hold the idea of that guilt, that you're, you know, the the Rougarou was was something to to scare people into behaving. But it was also like if you felt bad about something that, you know, the Rougarou is sort of a cultural symbol of when you know you've done wrong. Right. And you have to atone for it. But we're going to have links for the, the episode but it was just it was an interesting concept that I hadn't really seen much before that it was like the idea of the Rougarou as like your guilt given physical form outside of you. That is super interesting. Yeah. You know, I think that that's an evolution of the story. It might be something because, you know, Mr. Glenn is a storyteller that might be him putting his spin on it. But the stories evolve on their own. Like I found this one video that claimed that um, when the Brits attacked New Orleans in the War of 1812, January 18th, uh, 1815, there were two units of British Highlanders trying to uh, execute a night assault into New Orleans to outflank Jackson, right? And then waiting in the marsh. It's not swamp. If you're picturing the area outside of New Orleans, there's very few trees. It's flat grassland. It's not the swamps. (laughs) It's the marsh. There's There's pockets of swamps, but it's, it's open marsh. And that is really hard to get through, too. Um, but there were all these native and American troops and um, some Acadians fought alongside them. And they just hid in the marsh and just like made the diab to these Brits. Like they just hid in the marsh and just like assaulted them, shot them, ambushed them. They did not. They had no fun. Right. The British people had no fun. And they kicked their they kicked their asses like the 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 native troops, the American troops, the Acadian troops before they even got to New Orleans. Like they had their asses kicked. And when all was said and done, there were like 484 men that were missing, like unaccounted for, not dead, not injured, just gone. And there's some stories. There are people who've said that maybe to help his community out, those people were attacked by the Rougarou. Now, the video also, yeah, (laughs) hey, you got to keep it. you know, watch out for your turf. Now, the video also said that maybe they were helped by Peter Malfay, which is kind of like Swamp Thing, but we're researching him for a later episode. So more about Peter Malfay later in the year. <laughs> I um, can't wait. That sounds fun. Yeah. But yeah, the Rougarou taking out Brits to help the British to help save New Orleans. How about that? Who doesn't love the Rougarou? Just a quick aside, but though, about stuff like that, uh, that's definitely what inspired our book, Creatures of Conquest. The Exactly those kinds of stories and historical situations uh, melding together with folklore. That's how we, that's what we like to weave our characters in. So if you like that, read Creatures of Conquest. Anyway. <laughs> no, 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 man. I, I pl- plug away, man. I mean, that's, that's why we're not monetizing this thing. All right. But I, no, there are, that's one of the things like we were talking about at the very beginning about Louisiana is, is that we have stories about Rougarou getting involved in the War of 1812. You know, it's, it's the stories evolve so effectively alongside the other cultures. 
And I think that especially with that story is when you really start seeing the idea of the Ruguru as a guardian, right? As a protector of the land and a protector of the creatures of this place. And, you know, what you're doing with your books and what I'm doing with, with my books is, is taking those stories and letting them evolve further. But this is where you really start seeing, you know, the Ruguru in his contemporary behavior. It's a lot more like an animal defending its territory. So you really see from the original sort of like foundational myths and not too long after they come here Ruguru starts evolving into more of a protector right like more of a, a cryptid style protectored spirit if you go online like reddits and all kinds of stuff you listen to like self-reporting uh paranormal encounter podcast uh i listen to monsters among us and jim harold's campfire i've been listening to both for years you can find hundreds of regular encounters with something that people are calling a Ruguru. The term tends to be used as more of like a wide variety. It's gotten so popular that when you're a kid, you'll say Jason for any scary guy in a mask or like elf means everything from like that little red Christmas bastard up to like Elrond of Rivendell. Like a Ruguru can be a bunch of different things. And you see that in a lot of the contemporary sellings. They'll call it a Ruguru, even though it's like a headless corpse. Uh, yeah. They'll still call it the Ruguru because that's like the boogeyman word for it. It's all folklore um, semantics people <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's what happens but yeah, um no, I, I, I managed it. to actually talk to some people who got some contemporary stories and they were amazing there was an old theater and a movie theater in golden meadow mm -hmm. and this person my friend's grandma was coming out of the movie theater and she saw the wolf man she saw the wolf-headed man she saw the ruguru and looking at him ruguru turned back into a human shape looked at Mama and said, don't you tell anybody or I'm going to come and get you. And she never shared the story with her family until that person that she had seen as the Ruguru died, like years and wow. years and years later. She never said anything, but then she told all her grandkids all the time. <laughs> That's pretty amazing, actually. Because she, she, she knew the story that if she had talked about the Ruguru, she'd have turned into it. So she couldn't mm -hmm. until that Ruguru died. That's so, that's cool. Yeah. Mama that, was smart. Mama was smart. She didn't talk about him until he was dead. And there, there was like another recent, more recent sighting. I'm not convinced this is like necessarily a Wolfman sighting, but um, mm -hmm. it was, it was just across the bayou from my house. Basically, my friend's step grandfather was out checking his cattle. Right, we have these big uh, astures and stuff going back towards the levees. He used to go back and he would walk his property alone, you know, no weapon, not just making sure the cows were good. Right, you don't bring a gun when you go check your cattle most of the time. You just kind of go, everybody's okay, and they say moo, and then you go on with your life. They were waiting for him, you know, up at the truck and everything. And they said, uh, now this was my friend's mom when she was a little girl. She remembers this. He came back white as a sheet and shaking. He was so undone. They had to, like, take him back to the trailer and, like, wrap him in blankets. Like, he was in shock. And when they finally got him to calm down, he said he saw this big shaggy thing. It kind of sounds more like a skunk ape or like a Bigfoot-type monster, but he called it a Rougarou. And this was in the 60s. This was this was when people like I'm friends with I went to school with the girl who told me the story. You know, she's our age. Her mom is, you know, roughly in her 60s. Her grandparents are roughly in their late 80s, you know. Mm -hmm. And he called it a Rougarou and he never went out again to check his cattle without a gun or a Padna or his wife. Like from that day forward, he never went in the past in the back pastures again alone. And. It's crazy because, like, these aren't, you know, we think of stories of the Ruguru as being from long ago, but, like, these are almost contemporary. And if you go online, you can find hundreds of contemporary reports from Louisiana of people interacting with something that 
if you get into the description, may not be a quote-unquote wolfman, but if you allow for the, the fluidity of a Rougarou versus a Loopgarou, you know, they're reporting that they've, they've seen a Rougarou. And it seems like a, a Rougarou has become more of a, of a cryptid than, like, pure folklore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely, there are people that believe that there is a physical entity out in the woods that is a Rougarou. Oh, absolutely. There's a bunch of, you know, there's a lot of North American uh, evidence of that. You know, I mean, from even Bigfoot's that way, the fo- uh, the Rougarou is definitely that way. There's also like, what, Honey honey Island Swamp Monster mm-hmm. as well in Louisiana, which I'm not as familiar with because it wasn't what our bayou talked about, you know. But, yeah. but still, these cryptids are, yeah, they're kind of uh, cemented in culture now, I guess, so to speak. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of where you know the the Ruguru seems to sit right now is is usually when you do see people they're trying to t- tackle it like it's a like it's an actual like physical being, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying it's not. I'm, I mean, my my friend's grandpa saw something behind the stagecoach mm-hmm. lounge on 308 in Golden Meadow. Mm-hmm. He saw something. I'm yeah. not sure what, but it scared the snot out of him. But that's happened to like nearly every folklore concept is the eyes shift and they change. And then, you know, some people pick at the bones until they can reach the marrow. It's, it's there has to be something true in there somewhere, though. Like there's there's usually something, mm-hmm. some nugget of it that you, you don't find that stories that are just made up out of whole cloth that really, really, really survive. Like if even if you get into the cryptids, there's usually something like something happened in Point Pleasant with Mothman. Something mm-hmm. happened with, or at least people believe something happened with a lot of like alien abduction stuff. There's usually something. So the, we do have these stories that are contemporary, that are this something that the Rougarou still feeds off of. And, mm-hmm. you know, these, well, these myths go forward. Yeah, these myths go forward. And like you said, there's always that underlying marrow that they try to pick at. And what really opened my eyes was Joseph Campbell's writing in his book, Hero with a Thousand Faces how a lot of these myths have like cross-referenced through time as well. And like you said, it's that underlying marrow that is the value that people keep alive through these myths, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Joseph Campbell is really good for understanding um, European folklore. The Joseph Campbell stuff can be a little, a little tricksy in, in the way that he's, he's de- I mean, like, okay, like everything else, we're in our 40s. A lot of our stuff from our childhood is like not okay anymore. Yeah, and true. Much as he I did write in the seventies as well, I should say. He's and he's definitely <laughs> coming at it from what at the time was probably a fairly progressive white man stance, but it's still definitely like an old true. white man stance. I love his work. True. I've read Hero with a Thousand Faces. I've I've watched Susan Sarandon's the series that she hosted on it. I love his work, and it's definitely a, it would be perfect for looking at the Rougarou because the Rougarou is such a, at least from the you know from the Europe it has such a, a profound amount of European folklore that feeds into it. Yeah. But you're seeing, like, as the, the further forward we come, you're seeing that myth change. And it's turned into a general term. And the, the term just got so popular that it, like, soaked up extra meaning. You know, the, being a Rougarou doesn't just mean, like, a shapeshifter these days. Like, it can, be mean for, it can be used for a lot of different things. But it's still a lot of fun. You know, it got so popular that Rougarou is everywhere in our culture, right? It's on beers. It's on burgers. It's on billboards just to keep rolling with that alliteration and <laughs> you know we have the rougarou fest and it's you know yeah. talk you know i i was an artist a, cu- a little couple of years ago it's it's gonna be fun uh mm-hmm. how do you feel about being the festival artist for rougarou this year jonas i love it <laughs> i can't wait to go down there actually i see a lot of people i haven't seen in a while um so i am gr- i'm grateful for being the artist is how i feel about it 
I wanted to post her to honor Louisiana just as much as the Rougarou personifies that. So, you know, I depicted him standing in a swamp at the edge of the Louisiana map, surrounded by other creatures of the bayou. I don't know. I just wanted to have the all-encompassing drawing of the Rougarou, I guess, in whatever way, in whatever capacity I was able to do that. And so if you're able to go check it out, check out the poster, come to the okay. festival, please have fun with us. <laughs> yeah. Jonas and I are both going to be out there. Um, yeah. hope we get this out by October 5th. We're, we're so far we're on schedule. Uh, mm-hmm. And hopefully if you're listening to this, it's, it's near that date or at least close to it. Um, so come on out. We're both going to be at the festival all three days. And if you miss us this year and you're not hearing this, if you're hearing this some other year, I'll be there next year and the year after yeah. that and the year after that. It's it's and a I great plan festival. on to as well. Yes. So this year it's October 20th through the 22nd, I believe. Maybe mm-hmm. double check that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, All it right. Is. Awesome. In Homa. You're playing Ghostbusters on Friday night. Ghostbusters. Yeah. Yeah. Classic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. So, yeah, it'll be a fun time. All, all the proceeds go toward wetlands conservation and education about wetlands preservation. Um, also... Uh, yeah, it's awesome. It's the ultimate celebration of all things Rougarou. I think that maybe partially through the festival and the good work we've seen from it, the Rougarou isn't now a Catholic hitman or a cursed outcast. You know, it's it's evolved beyond that, like all of the stories that led up to this moment. It's become the guardian of wild places, you know, the ones so endangered. Basically, the Rougarou is a moral compass. Keeps you from shooting when you shouldn't or filling up your ice chest past capacity when you know you've got more than enough fish for your family. You know, uh, it's there I to mean, keep our, our culture alive. Yeah, I mean, in there so are things words. in Louisiana that were once so plentiful, it was absolutely impossible to imagine that they'd be in danger. And they're in danger now. And, you know, the people, they cried out for someone, for justice, for their guide towards what's right. They howled for a savior, for someone to show them the way. And that howl was answered by the Rougarou. And we return that howl from Outlandish Parish. So I know you've, you said earlier that you guys have got the book coming out like this month. That's super exciting. Um, how many, is... like, you just going to keep going with Creatures of Conquest for, yeah. until, until, it, until, it, until it, the story's done? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what we're working on right now, we're doing our, our final edits. Um, the book is coming out. I mean, by the time this is released, the book will hopefully be out or be out the week following. Yeah, it's a four part series that we've mapped out. And uh, we actually have backstories to characters, too. It's all historical fiction. A lot of it takes place in uh, South Louisiana, where our main character is from. He's the Bayou Bengal. He, this tiger entity is uh, encroaching upon his arm, and he's basically looking for the fountain of youth to stop it. And then and his... people can subscribe to you and get the first chapter for free, correct? Absolutely. But yeah, so um, if you'd like, go to creaturesofconquest.com and check that out. All you have to do is enter in your email address. Don't worry. We won't spam you at all. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we'll send you the... Uh, what's that? I, was, I aspire to have enough emails to justify spamming. Um, right, yeah. We do not yet. Um, but, yeah, but anyway, not, yeah, check it out. We're not going to be monetizing this podcast. You're not going to hear commercials on here because Jonas and I are both artists and uh, authors. And you know what? If you love us and you want to support us, and right now we are just starting out, so maybe there aren't a lot of... We don't have merch. We don't have much of a website just yet. but 
if you want to help support us, go check out our websites, um, creaturesofconquest.com. Um, I'm at alexisbro.com. It is spelled funny. Please check the link. And, <laughs> you can also uh, check yeah. us out on Instagram, too. Yeah. We both are always on Instagram. Well, We're not always on Instagram? On it, well, I maybe try we not to be, but boy, those cats <laughs> are funny. Uh, but yeah, go if you want to show us some love, then show us some love. You can go and sign up for our websites, get the first chapter of Creatures of Conquest, order a coffee mug from my store. There you uh, go. Yes, please. And even if it's just a like, a follower, a review, we appreciate it. And I think that might be a wrap on the first mm-hmm. episode. So, so goodbye from Outlandish Parish. I'm gonna stop recording.